come and do any work for it. They want to get paid the world and they don't want to uh, lift a finger to be able to do that. And as that takes place, a lot of it is, is a, uh, the lack of family values and how the family has been destroyed and there's no longer uh, a mom and a dad at home and, uh, and they don't teach their children good work ethic. If you go back, um, even when I was a kid, you know, um, it, it started to kind of disappear then, but uh, many times parents taught their children to work. Uh, and I think that's important. I think it's something that needs to be done. Uh, your children are not going to work on their own. That's something that they've got to be learned, they've got to be taught. And so that happens. But as the, um, as the laziness prevails in the world, it makes its way into the church house. But just by natural um, integration, as people come to church, uh, they, they bring some of those lazy habits and ideas with them. And so we need to be careful and we need to be on guard against laziness. It's something I think that is uh, contagious and uh, it will, as you, as you perhaps become lazy in maybe one area, it's easy to become more slack and more slack and more slack in other areas until you don't realize it yourself, but where you once were, you're no longer there. You've moved, you've slidden quite a ways uh, because it kind of takes over your life. Uh, Spurgeon, I, I read two good quotes from Spurgeon. He said this, If you're idle in Christ's work, you are active in the devil's work. If you are idle in Christ's work, you are active in the devil's work. In other words, if you're not actively working to serve the Lord, uh, then, then at some point you become a detriment or a hindrance uh, to the Lord's work. Uh, there's another very common saying, uh, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Uh, and so idleness then uh, would cause us to be a problem. Spurgeon also said this, the book of Proverbs deals very hard blows against sluggards and Christian ministers do well frequently to denounce the great sin of idleness, which is the mother of a huge family of sins. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. Idleness, uh, you know, the idea of idleness is the devil's workshop. And, uh, you know, if you've, if you've had children or you've watched children, you know this, uh, you've got to keep them busy. If you don't keep them busy... Uh, they will find something to do, and usually it's not something that's good. Uh, and most parents know that. Just think of your two-year-old. Think of your uh, three-year-old. You know, the ones that are, are tall enough to, get, to move around, walk around, and get into stuff. And, uh, and so you realize that, hey, there's a lot of truth to that. As we look at this passage in, in Proverbs chapter 24, verse number uh, 30 and 30, 30 down through 32, I want you to see this. I want you to consider the image. Consider the image that's portrayed. Look with me there as we read that. The Bible says, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. And I saw, then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. So here you have the psalmist as he's uh, giving, or the, the, the Solomon rather, not the psalmist, as he's giving an illustration and he's giving a story and in this story is packed wisdom. And he says this, he says, you know, I was, 
he kind of portrays it this way. I was just walking down the street, taking my walk, and I looked over and I saw this property that was overtaken. Now, I don't know if you've ever walked by. We've got a house in our area that uh, uh, it seems rather apparent nobody lives there, and, and, uh, and the, the bushes are all grown over. They kind of uh, cover the place, and you can tell uh, where a house is empty. Uh, and so that's what, that's what he's saying here in this proverb. He's saying, hey, I was out, now, not necessarily a house, it was a field. Um, now, when I was in Italy, there's lots of fields, and uh, they're very nicely taken care of. I noticed a lot of them, uh, they have their, their, their vines will go all the way down a row, and at the end of one row and at the end of the other row uh, will be olive trees. And so they'll have a kind of olive trees all the way around that marks where their field is, and the, and the start of each row, and they're usually very well taken care of. And uh, as you drive around, you look at them and you're like, well, they look nice and that looks like a nice field and that looks like a nice field. And then you see this other one, it's like nobody's done anything for a while. And it it looks, it's an eyesore, it looks bad. And I want you to notice this about what he says here. Consider the image. I want you to notice this, that there was resources available. There were resources available Whoever it was, the, the, the slothful man or the uh, man void of understanding, he owned this land. Somebody owned it. Uh, and so he had resources. Now this was a field, obviously, and, uh, and it was a place that they could grow crops. So there was dirt there, and there was good soil there. Uh, but there was obvious as well that it had not been taken care of. You know, some people can have a lot of sources and uh, and still complain and say you know I don't have what it takes to do the job so I'm not going to do the job Um, but listen he had the land he had resources so he had the land it was there Um, now it might not have been easy to go out but you can uh, always go out and do something with the little bit that you have and he didn't do anything Um, and, and so he not only had the land but I want you to notice as well there was a wall around it now it was broken down Uh, but it was there, so he had a productive land, and he had a protective fence, uh, but even having those resources, he did not do anything. It's not that he didn't have anything, he refused to use what he did have. And he refused to work with what is available. Um, Many times we'll have stuff. Living in Peru amazed me in so many ways. Um, to watch people do things with stuff that you're like, how did they even do that? I remember one time I had uh, on my car, it was squeaking. Everywhere I went, it was squeak, 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 and there's no smooth roads in Peru. So it squeaked. It was driving me crazy. I took it to the mechanic. The mechanic said, oh, you need new little rubber grommets in all your little fittings around here. I'm like, oh, great. What do I, what I, let's replace them. And so he took it all off, and, uh, and he gave me the rubber grommets. He gave me two or three of them, and he said, here, go down this corner. He said, you hang a left, and you go down that way. You go to the third shop door, and you give these to that guy down there, and he will make you new ones. I'm like, okay. In America, you just go down to AutoZone, and you buy new ones, and you go. You, you don't even go. The mechanic does it. And, and so I'm like, all right. So I take my little rubber garments down there, and I go down there, and three doors down, I walk into this shop, and I'm amazed. Here are piles of old tires, 
all throughout the entire shop. It is full of all kinds of old rubber. And he's got this lathe in the, in the center of it. And I say, I need, uh, I need three of these. He said, okay. And so he took the first one and, and, uh, and he sat down and he ran around the shop and he kind of looked for the right piece of rubber and he took a chunk of rubber and, uh, and he put it on his lathe and he started, I kid you not, he cut out my rubber grommet out of rubber while I was sitting there watching him. And, and I'm watching him do this, and I, I, I loved, I enjoyed watching these people work. They're amazing because uh, they'll, they'll use next to nothing. I mean, he had a, um, what are those razor blades, the uh, disposable kind? Well, he, it wasn't disposable to him. Uh, he just kept sharpening it and reusing and reusing and reusing, and, he would, and that thing was spinning, and he would take that razor blade, and he would just you know, shave off all the right stuff. It was like an art form, and he made that. And, and what I'm saying is sometimes... We have so many resources to our availability, and we don't use half of what we own or what we need. And here, this man, he had resources, but he did not use them. And he did not um, make use of them. And so I want you to notice the resources that are available. Not only that, but I want you to notice the visibility of this man's fields. It was visible. Uh, this, this, uh, in this proverb, uh, Solomon starts off like, hey, I was walking down the street, and I looked over and I saw this field, and, uh, and it was a problem. And, and I, I sat here and I looked at it, and I want you to notice in our text and in our passage that he was just a casual observer. He was not a tax collector. He was not a, uh, uh, the, the neighborhood inspector to say, well, your grass is too long, you got to cut it. Uh, he, he wasn't anything of that nature. He was a casual observer that was going by. And listen, I want you to understand uh, that, that as people uh, go through, as you go through life, you can observe other things. But not only can you observe other things, but just as much other people are observing us. And this man's property was unkept. It was untaken care of. I mean, it was uh, all grown over with the weeds and it was all uh, very, very eyesore for, for everyone that would pass by and they would look at it and they'd say, well, that guy does not take care of his property. Now, it's one thing for some people that do not have means. Uh, some people, maybe they don't have uh, the nice, pretty flowers in a, in a horticultural yard, but you can tell they cut the grass, they trim the hedges, they, they, they take care of it at least. But this was completely unkept, and a casual observer would notice that. And so I want us to consider the image that it would leave, the imprint in the mind of other people. As they would look at it, they would say, well, that's a disaster. It's not taken care of. And then I want you to notice this about the image that it leaves. It was a reproach to the neighbors. It was a reproach to the neighbors. Why? Could you imagine if your, uh, your field was next door to this guy's field? And, and you were like, man, that thing is a mess. It's, it's all uh, overgrown. The weeds, the weeds are constantly, they're coming over into my yard. I'm constantly having to trim them back and throw them over there. And, and, and it was a real problem, not only the weeds, but the wall was broken down. So you could imagine, uh, if you don't know what a, a property that becomes overrun looks like, what happens is wild animals move in. I'm not talking about big ones. I'm talking about all the little ones, the snakes, the rats. Uh, the, the spiders, all the little pesty animals that get in there. And if this guy had this field and it was all over, and you got to imagine these are going into the neighbor's fields and the neighbors will fight them back. I could tell you a time or two that we live next to some um, 
unkept properties and and uh, especially in Peru and and the rats would come over to our house and and you'd get rid of them they just run right back to the next lot I mean they were next door you knew where they were but you couldn't get them and uh, and and they 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 were it was problematic and so this guy uh, his fields left a bad image on everybody's mind that saw it not only the uh, image perceived but I want you to consider the idleness that brought it to that place Consider with me the image. Consider with me the idleness. Look with me at verse 33. And and it says this, Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of thy hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. In verse 31, he calls him, um, or we, we notice rather in verse 30, he says, I went by the field of the slothful. That would be someone who does not work and they do not labor. And not only that, but he he became habitually lazy. He just refused to work. He had the resources, he had the field, he had the wall that was there. I mean, uh, he could have uh, kept the wall at least from going down and and maybe if he didn't have uh, the instruments to plow with, he could have at least gone out and pulled all the weeds and at least left it nice looking and he didn't have to let it go to to waste. But he, he totally let it go to waste because why? He was slothful, the Bible says in verse 30. And he was... A slothful man. He didn't do anything. He refused to work. Save your spot there in Proverbs 24 and go with me uh, to chapter number 6. Proverbs chapter number 6. And verse number 6. Proverbs 6, 6. And you may remember this passage, we went over it, though it was quite some time ago, we went over it, Proverbs chapter number 6 and verse number 6, the Bible says, Go to the ant thou sluggard, and consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. And so he says, hey, go to the ant and consider what she does, consider how she works. Uh, when I, was, I remember when I was younger, my dad... Uh, we were on a picnic, and my dad uh, saw one of those little ant mounds. You know, you, you see them. Now, I learned when I was really little, uh, don't, we lived in New Mexico for a short time. I realized real quick, don't mess with fire ants, okay? Uh, so these were not fire ants. So you, take, you, you were warned, okay? Stay away from fire ants. These were not fire ants. But they build their little nest. They got like a mound of dirt outside of them. And if you've seen them, I mean, they're there. And, uh, and if you ever have time and you're sitting outside, uh, it's kind of interesting. If you take a little stick and you poke that little dirt, you don't destroy it. You just poke a little hole in it. Man, they come out by the swarms. And they fix that mound back up. And it's quite impressive to watch them put all those little dirt particles back in place and, and build it all up and repair their little home. They work incredibly. An ant, there's a lot about an ant. And the Bible here gives us the idea that they work very hard. Turn back with me to Proverbs chapter 24. Half of you turn back to Proverbs 24 and half of you stay in, in Proverbs 6. And verses 10 and 11 in Proverbs 6 say the exact same thing as uh, Proverbs 24, 33 and 34. So I'm going to read one of them and you can follow along in whatever chapter you want because they say the exact same thing. It says, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, 
so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and they want as an armed man. And so the idea uh, that, that here in Proverbs, in, in chapter, back in our chapter, verse 24, he's saying, listen, uh, the fellow that, that fell this field, and he had the field, and it was a problematic field because he didn't take care of it, uh, it probably didn't start out like that. Uh, maybe he inherited it. Maybe he started working with it. But after a while, he became habitually lazy. Why do I know it's habitually? I know it's habitually, you know why? Because the wall was broken down. Uh, and, and he didn't even bother putting it back up. If you've ever seen the rock walls and, and you stack the, the rocks on top of each other, that's kind of what it, it would have had to have been in Bible times. And, and perhaps some of the rocks had fallen over. Maybe an animal had gone through there and, and knocked some of the rocks off. And after time, it would just be broken down. It wouldn't even be uh, standing up. And all the animals and critters could pass through without a problem. And he didn't even bother to repair it. So he was a habitual slothful person. And we see here in 33 and 34, he says, hey, a little bit of sleep, a little slumber, a little holding of thy hands to sleep. In other words, he said, man, I got to hit that snooze one more time. I got to snooze a little bit more. And maybe he slept in uh, a few days, and then maybe it turned into uh, a weeks that he, he's like, well, tomorrow I'll go do it. Well, the sun, it's, you know, it's too hot out there. The sun's shining really bright. Next day, well, it's raining. I can't go out now because it's raining out there and I don't want to work in the rain. And well, the next day, it's, well, it's overcast. And uh, man, it's just not a good day to be out there. And, and they're constantly feeding excuses for why they cannot do what they should do. And we find that the proverb here calls him a slothful man, somebody who's not going to work. And, and it says there that he was lazy. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 4, he be becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. The, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 4, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Listen, it, it's not hard, to be honest with you, to have things in America. If you work hard and you save, it's really not hard to, to build up some wealth uh, and have something uh, if you're willing to work at it. But listen, most people are not willing to work at it. Most people uh, will fall into poverty because uh, they don't put forth the effort. And this man in this, this chapter, he didn't put forth the effort. And his field went to waste and weeds were overgrown and, and, and the walls were broken down. The Bible says there in verse... One, not only was he slothful, but I want you to notice this. It says in verse 30, verse 30, not verse 31. I went by the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. Proverbs talks about the simple, and this is not a simple for person. For all practical purposes, this is somebody who uh, wants to be ignorant. They're void of understanding. In other words, they're not interested in learning anything. They're not interested in, in understanding uh, that if they don't get out there and do something with their land, that it's going to be overgrown. And so we can consider his idleness. And then look with me in verse number 34. Bible says, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth. Now, what is one that traveleth? In Bible times, travel was very treacherous. Uh, going from place to place, you didn't just climb in an airplane and fly from uh, Pittsburgh to 
uh, New York or anything of that nature, travel, uh, you didn't even get in your car and drive there. Uh, travel included maybe traveling with a donkey or a camel of some sorts or possibly walking everywhere you go. And so when you travel like that, it's very dangerous and some of the places that you go uh, would be places that, uh, that there would be no uh, protection for you. You'd go through, there's no street lights. Uh, you're just walking through some dark areas and you might, if you don't get into the next town, I mean, there was no Google Maps, you didn't just punch it in. Well, how long is it going to take me to get from this town to the next town? You better know in advance. Um, because it, it takes a while, and you, you better know what the next town... Uh, I, that reminds me of a funny story. I was in Peru, my friend and I, and we were traveling back, back roads. I mean, we were out in the middle of nowhere. We were on a dirt road, and we were in his truck, and, and we came along a Peruvian lady, and she was uh, walking there with her donkey or something, and she had her flocks, and, and we said, uh, we, we had no idea. I mean, you didn't just Google Maps to your next destination, not even in Peru. You were... You were hoping and praying you made it to the next place. And, and sometimes there was no gas stations in some of those places. And so we were traveling like that, and we didn't know where we were going. We knew where we were going. We didn't know how far it would be or how long it would take us. So we pulled over, and we were talking to this lady on the side of the road, and we said, well, how far is it to the next town? And she was like, well, it's a couple hours. And we're like, we're looking at each other. We're like, man, I hope we have enough gas. I hope we're going to make it. And, uh, and so we get back in his truck, and, and we're, we're driving, and we're wondering, you know, well, then if we find any place to stop, we need to stop and get gas of any sorts because, uh, because we're not sure we're going to make it. And, and, uh, and so we came across this little tiny um, house, basically. And, uh, and it said, and, it, and it, they sold gasoline there, which blew me out of the water. And, uh, and it was a 55-gallon drum, I kid you not, full of gasoline. The guy came out, and he scooped it out, and he got a funnel, and I kid you not, he poured it into the tank. That's how he got it in, with a funnel. We got back in the car, and we continued down our way, and, and I kid you not, uh, it was only 10 more minutes down the road. We probably only drove about 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes, to get to the town where we were going when that lady told us it was two hours. My friend and I, we stood there and we, we, we scratched our head. We said, why did she tell us it was two hours? It took us a while to figure it out, but if you're walking by foot and you've never traveled in a truck before, it probably was a two-hour trip for her. And she told us the truth. It was two hours if you're on foot. And so traveling in Bible times was kind of like that. It was treacherous. It was dangerous. And if you didn't know where you were going and you got stopped in a town or, or uh, on the side of the road at night, it, it could be very dangerous. And so it's here, shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth. In other words, uh, the people who would spend a lot of time traveling in Bible times were at a greater risk of being robbed or uh, beaten or, or uh, whatever, and they would lose what they have, and they would be, they would be poverty-stricken. Then he says, and I want as an armed man. And that would be the idea of uh, somebody who is in dire want uh, who would take a weapon and try and steal from somebody else. In other words, uh, he's got dire, uh, n- dire want, I won't say a need, a dire want uh, that he would steal from somebody else. And so the Bible is telling us that, listen, that's the way that the poverty would come. It would come at such a point uh, that that person would, uh, would be so poor and so desperate that they would steal something. 
So we consider the idleness, we consider the image, but I want us also to consider this. Lastly, I want us to consider the instruction. Look with me at verse number 32. After he considers the image, he sees the image, he sees the, the, the broken down wall and the field that's overrun, and he says this, Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Now I want us to, I want us to think about this. This man was a very wise man the fellow who passed by. Because he stopped and he looked at it and he educated himself just by observing what had taken place. Cato Major, some old philosopher, said this, wise men profit more by fools than fools by wise men. For wise men will avoid the faults of fools, but fools will not imitate the virtues of of wise men. Let me say that one more time. He said, wise men profit more by fools than fools by wise men. For wise men will avoid the faults of fools. He would look on the field, he would recognize, well, this fellow is lazy or void of understanding, and that's why his field is overgrown. And he would learn and say, may I be careful that my fields never become overgrown, and that I wouldn't be lazy, and that I would work hard to maintain my own fools or my own, my own um, fields. And so a wise man will learn, but fools will not imitate the virtues of wise men. And so as we look at this story, we need to consider the instruction that's given. And the first and foremost, the most obvious lesson that stands out to all of us is don't be lazy, obviously. That's the most, that's the most common, that's the most pertinent, that's the most forthwith lesson that can be learned. And that's what the wise man learned. And laziness, as, it, as I stated, uh, is becoming even more prevalent in America. It seems like, you know, as our government uh, would often reward people for staying home and not working. And I understand some people fall on hard times, and I understand sometimes you need help. I'm not, I'm not opposed to that, but there's so many people that just are content to stay at home and just take money uh, from, from, from the government and not try to work or look for a job or do anything. And it's laziness that becomes prevalent and it, and it becomes a real problem in our society. And so we need to be careful that even in our own life uh, that we don't become lazy because as you look around and you see uh, this person, well, he only does this much. The boss still keeps him around. May we hold our standard much higher as Christians and work to the very best of our ability and not allow the world's laziness to influence us as Christians. The Bible says this in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. The Bible's very clear about that, that we should be workers and we should do the best of our ability um, and I think that's something that, that is important and it needs taught and it needs exercise and it needs practice in today's day and age because uh, laziness has just become so prevalent. Uh, it goes on in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses, 1, or verses 11 and 12. It says, and that ye study to be quiet. Isn't that interesting? I think most schools like that verse, but they won't put it in there. Christian schools will put it in there. 
that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, and that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, that ye, and that ye may have lack of nothing. In other words, if you would work hard and provide, uh, that you would be recompensed and that you would be rewarded uh, for your labor that you would do. And so that's the idea that Paul really gave out to the church at Thessalonians. And and it's important, hey, for today, uh, that we would work and that we would do our best at our job. Not should we work, the, the instruction that we can consider and the instruction we can learn is obviously very clearly that we should not be lazy, but I want you physically, speaking of actually going to work and actually doing our job and actually working to the best of our ability, uh, but I want you to notice this as well. Don't be lazy spiritually either. I was reading Matthew Henry, and Matthew Henry wrote it this way, and, and I, love, I love the way he wrote it so well I thought I'm not going to try and word it better than Matthew Henry did, so I'll just give you what he said. He said, our souls are our fields and vineyards, which we are every one of us to take care of, to dress, and to keep. They are capable of being improved with good husbandry. That would be keeping your fields. That may, that may be got out of them, which will be fruit abounding to our account. We are charged with them to occupy them till our Lord come and a great deal of care and pain, it is requisite that we should take about them. In other words, we should take care of our soul, spiritually speaking. We ought to uh, trim back the branches. We ought to be careful, spiritually speaking, that, hey, we plant good seeds in our life and that we would water it with the Word of God in our life and that it would have fruit that would spiritually abound. He goes on to say this. He says, these fields and vineyards are often in a very bad state not only no fruit brought forth, but all overgrown with thorns and nettles, scratching, stinging, inordinate lusts and passions, pride, covetousness, sensuality, malice, and those are the thorns and nettles, the wild grapes, which the unsanctified heart produces. No guard kept against the enemy, but the stone wall broken down, and all lies in common, all exposed. Well, he worded it very well. That if we allow our, our life, spiritually speaking, to go the way of flesh, it will follow all the passions of the flesh. It will follow uh, the ideas and, and things that the flesh desires. And listen, it takes work and it takes effort spiritually on our part. It takes a daily uh, work to continue cutting back the weeds that grow in our mind and grow in our heart. And it takes constant effort to pour out the Word of God and the water uh, in our fields of our life to make sure that good seeds are growing and good fruit are growing uh, that would abound to the honor and glory of God. And I'd refer right back to the very first point that we looked at. Consider the image that is left. Listen, if we don't take care of our spiritual life, You know what image is put out there? Broken down fields. Fields that weeds are growing in. Fields that that the walls are broken down. And I would say this, just like it was visible to the casual observer, it will be visible to the casual observer of your life. And other people will be able to see that and spot that. And so we need to be very careful 
And just like this man in this proverb, consider the instruction, may we learn to not only not be lazy at work, obviously, but not be lazy in our spiritual habits. And to make sure that we take care of our fields, our souls, our inner parts, uh, that we would serve the Lord uh, with our spirit and make sure that, hey, all of that is good. The Bible says in Galatians uh, 5.26, it goes, or I'm not sure if it's 26 or 23, it starts right there somewhere at the end of that uh, chapter, and it says, the fruit of the Spirit. You know what that is? That's somebody who's taken care of their field. That's somebody who has pulled the weeds out. Prior to that, it goes on and it lists uh, all, the, all the fruits of the flesh and its wickedness and its this and it's all those things that come out of the flesh. But if you take care of your spirit, well, how do you take care of your spirit? Well, I'll tell you just three things that are, are, are clear. One is reading your Bible and praying every day. It is, it is going to help you. We say that all the time, but it's so important. You cannot get away from it. The second thing, you know this on a Wednesday, on a snowy Wednesday evening, it's church attendance. Just being in God's house and listening to the Word of God preached. Listen, I as a preacher, you know what? I enjoy listening to somebody else preach. Why? Because he thinks of stuff that I don't think of. And even as a preacher, uh, I have to sit down and listen and expose myself to preaching. Why? Because I need it just as much as you do. We all need to hear somebody else giving out the Word of God and teaching and giving uh, the Word of God. It will help your heart and it will help you trim back some of those weeds and take care of the property so that it all looks pleasant and nice. Bible reading, church attendance, prayer, witnessing, just being aware and not being selfish with your time, being aware of God. I want us just those three things. Consider the image. We looked at that. Consider the idleness. Let's not be idle spiritually or physically. And then consider the instruction. And that's certainly, don't be lazy physically. We know that. Don't be lazy spiritually. And I hope and pray that that's a blessing and a help to you as we, uh, listen, it's easy. It's easy to slip into a lazy habit a lazy pattern. And it takes work. It takes effort. I'll be honest with you. I was talking with somebody um, not too long ago, and, uh, and they were asking me, well, what should I do and, and to, to help my spiritual life? And I said, well, I said, read your Bible. Do you do that? And they're like, no. I said, well, do this. I said, whatever time you get up in the morning, set your alarm 15 minutes early. And get up 15 minutes Go make your coffee, do that first. Then get your Bible and go sit down for just 10, 15 minutes and read the Word of God. Very first thing after your coffee, you need to make sure you're awake. And then read the Word of God and let the Word of God speak to your heart. And it will be amazing how that changes your life. I was, um, my morning has been somewhat adjusted and, and, and the Lord said, well, you give that to somebody else, why don't you do that? I said, that's a good idea, Lord. I think I'll do that. So I set my alarm 15 minutes earlier. And I get up. And you know what? I do. Now I have time. I get into my Bible and I read my Bible and I'm not distracted with everything else. I was was doing it before, uh, but man, I ran into distractions and this and that. and, and, And so just 15 minutes earlier. says, you know what? I get it done and I don't have a problem. I don't get interrupted. I don't get distracted because nobody else is up in my house. 
15 minutes, that's all it takes. And it will help you, and it will be a blessing because we have got to work on our spiritual gardens to make sure, hey, that they look pretty for everyone else. It will honor and glorify God with uh, what we do in our, in our private devotions. We'll make our public life look that much better. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we stand to our feet. I hope and pray that that's been a help and a blessing to you. Consider the image, consider the idleness, and consider the instruction that was given in this process.